the man of screen. Hey folks, and welcome to episode 2 of the Man of Screen podcast. My name is Mike Zumo, and today we're going to take a look at the final four Fleischer animated short films, specifically The Magnetic Telescope, The Electric Earthquake, Volcano, and Terror on the Midway. Now, I want to add a little bit more to a Superman origin story, which I told you guys on last week's show, and a little bit about why I'm doing this instead of, you know, going through the comics. Well, for one thing, there's a lot of other Superman podcasts out there indexing various eras of Superman's comics history, and I really didn't feel the need to retread some of the great work done by other podcasters. Secondly, and I don't know if I explained this well enough during last week's show, but I really came to Superman through the screen. Like I said last week, I was first introduced to the Christopher Reeve movies and the George Reeves show and these animated cartoons. I would come to other things later, such as the Superman movie serials that we'll move on to after we're done with the Fleischer shorts. So with that said, uh, you know, I really don't have much preamble on these, so I'm just going to go to break real quick and we're going to come back with the Magnetic Telescope. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike, I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... uh, You know what? I, I I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like season two of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, welcome back, folks. And the first episode on the agenda tonight is The Magnetic Telescope, which details Superman's adventures in saving the town from a comet drawn toward Earth by a magnetic telescope. It was originally released to theaters on April 24th, 1942, and it starred Bud Collier as Clark Kent and Superman, and The Professor, Joan Alexander as Lois Lane, Julian Noah as Perry White, Jackson Beck as the narrator, police officer, and cab driver. The story was by Dan Gordon and Carl Meyer. The story begins with Clark Kent and Lois Lane, along with the entire town, observing a scientist's 
demonstration of is a magnetic telescope. A giant U-shaped magnet connected to the telescope is pointed at a comet and turned on, drawing the comet toward the observers. Something goes wrong, however, and the comet crashes into the town, rolls through the streets, and then tumbles into the ocean nearby. Newspapers the next day report the disaster, and the police are shown arguing with the scientist, who claims the importance of his work is worth the risk of human lives. The police say, as Lois looks on, Your tampering with nature endangers thousands of lives. Yes, and even at the possible cost of those lives, I shall continue my experiment. I warn you, Professor, we're prepared to stop you. And I warn you, sir, any interference may prove disastrous. He runs into his telescope room and shuts the door before the police can stop him, and begins his experiment again. Just as the magnet pulls the comet into Earth's gravitational pull, the police jam a piece of metal into the electric generator, running his machine and cut its wires with axes. Listen to me, you meddling fools. You know that the power Without that power, the comet is out of my control. The pull of gravity will bring it crashing to Earth any minute. Stop! Do you hear? The comet, now out of the scientist's control, hurtles toward the town in a bright circle of light. As the police and scientists flee, Lois calls the Daily Planet from the scientist's building, reporting the impending disaster as the building crumbles around her and pins her. Clark happens to be standing nearby and takes a cab to get to the telescope. As he nears the building, pieces of the comet destroy the road in front of them and the cabbie flees. Clark takes this opportunity to change clothes in the back of the car, becoming Superman. Superman saves Lois from the rubble of comet shards and then streaks toward the hurtling comet, striking it full force, but he bounces off, delaying the inevitable only slightly. While Superman lies unconscious, more comet shards crush buildings, cars, and trains across the town. Superman awakes and flies at the comet again, but with similar results, falling into the telescope's generator room. He notices the metal bar in the generator and removes it, then winds some cable around its rods and pulls the generator into motion. He then completes the circuit to the scope by grabbing both ends of the cut wire and allowing the electric current to run through his chest from arm to arm. Lois sets the machine to reverse and the comet is sent back into space just in time. We then see Superman's silhouette in the telescope room and Lois kisses him. Oh, Superman, you were wonderful. <laughs> You're pretty wonderful yourself. Oh, how did you get here? <laughs> Thanks to Superman. And much to her chagrin, the silhouette is Clark. All right. Well, you know, I enjoyed this one. The uh, it starts with a beautiful shot of the uh, observatory and the magnetic telescope. Now we've got here yet another you know, kind of mad scientist story who's going to stop at nothing to complete his experiment and uh, do what he wants. Moving on from the observatory, we have another great shot of a fiery comet crashing to Earth and damaging areas of the city, including the dock area. And we get a newspaper clipping showing uh, that the city has been uh, hit by the com by the meteor shards. And the mad scientist is bald, and he speaks with such an arrogance that I can only wonder if Lex Luthor's personality was somewhat based on this later on. Many others have compared uh, the look of this scientist to Captain Marvel's enemy, uh, Dr. Savannah, who also appears in uh, DC Comics, although he's Captain Marvel's Shazam now, but that's a grievance for another time. The, uh, you know, like I said, the scientist, he just refuses to listen to the police, and he locks them out. You know, he's another guy with no motivation. He just wants to show off and show the rest of the, the world that he's right. Again, this is very Lex Luthor, who wants to, you know, a similarly a mad scientist who wants to destroy Superman and prove to the world that he's right. His goal is to drag the comet to the Earth and push it back into space to show off his skills. 
Reasonably so, the police are upset about this, and they are going to do anything they can to stop him. I am not sure why they didn't arrest him, because I am sure pulling a comet down from space onto the city must be against some kind of law, at the very least endangering the public welfare. So they probably could have arrested him and stopped all of this. Criminal recklessness, to say the least. But I guess if they arrested him right off the bat, uh, we wouldn't have much of a story here. Not that we have much of a story anyway. It's straight up comet. It's straight up scientist pulls comet to Earth, and bad stuff happens from there. So the scientist's goal, we don't have a name for the guy, he's just a scientist. His goal is to dra drag the comet to the Earth with his telescope and push it back into space. To kind of show off to the city that he is everything he says he is. Well... While he's doing this, the cops, in their infinite wisdom, decide, well, we're going to shut everything off and the hell with what he's doing. Well, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with the logic there. He's already started, folks. He's already dragged the comet into Earth's atmosphere. So did these guys clearly didn't consider that once the comet is pulled into Earth's atmosphere, gravity is going to take care of the rest. And the scientist knows this. And... I don't necessarily believe this scientist is a bad guy per se. I mean, granted, he's extremely reckless with what he's doing. I mean, there's no situation in which pulling a comet out of space and to, into the Earth atmosphere is a good idea. But when lose a draw, for whatever reason, he's doing it. So it, while it's on him that the comet is in the atmosphere, you know, the police have to share a little bit of culpability here, too, because... Well, they caused him to lose control of the comet and caused the damage that ensued to happen. Not, um, their hearts were in the right place, but the police could have been smarter about this. Maybe in a story told today, the police would be smarter about this as we know more about this, these kinds of things. So, anyway. Another issue is that it is possible if the police didn't do anything, nothing would have happened. Because we're going to see later that once Superman repowers the telescope, Lois is able to use the electromagnet to push the comet back out. That was the scientist's plan all along. To bring the comet into the atmosphere, to show off his... and to push it back out to show off his telescope. Had he been allowed to do that, there might have been a lot less damage to the city. So, but, nevertheless, there is damage to the city. I mean, and Lois, everybody leaves once everything starts going haywire. Except Lois, because the most important thing for her to do right now is to phone in the story. Now, she's at the epicenter of the, the disaster. The comet is coming to the observatory that she's in. She's right in the comet's path, and this is where she chooses to make her phone call from. This is 1941 or 42. There's got to be a phone booth or a public phone somewhere. I know there are no cell phones, but there has to be a public phone booth somewhere. I mean, we, we've seen Clark change in Superman and one in the Mechanical Monsters. So she could have just gone there and maybe saved herself some time and trouble. But she didn't. I mean, she's just another of a long line of people in this episode acting completely irresponsible. The scientist's experiment, like I mentioned, is reckless and irresponsible in and of itself. And right here, Lois is needlessly putting herself in danger. This isn't being a good reporter. Being a good reporter doesn't mean a damn thing if you end up with a pile of rubble on top of you and you end up dead. This is stupid. You know, get to safety and make your phone call. Don't just wait for uh, the whole building to fall on you. And Clark, who's been sent to... Clark, meanwhile, has been sent over while after Lois' phone call gets off, and he's taken a taxi. We have seen him multiple times to this point change into Superman at the planet. So why is he in a cab? The man can fly. 
for God's sake. He could have just changed the Superman at the planet and it probably got the Lois a whole lot sooner. Because while he's in the taxi, he sees everything coming down at him, and this is when he tries to change into Superman. And this is the change that I mentioned in last week's episode. And this is the first time we actually see him change, although it's all from the back. Now, he's Superman. The first thing he does is try to ram the comic. There have been countless Superman episodes where we've seen him ram a comet or an asteroid in space, and he just gets hit backwards. And it doesn't go very well, but the artwork of him crashing into the comet and tumbling backwards is, is top-notch right there. You know, he brightens his suit, and it just looks great as he crashes. I mean, uh, the show does explosions really well. The car gets hit, you know, and it's just a mangled mess in shadow. Not as detailed as other things, but still looks good. And uh, and the comet takes out another bridge. Almost as, looks as the same bridge that uh, the Arctic Giant walked through, but maybe, maybe not. But so far, in six shorts, four bridges have been taken out. So, like I said, it is uh, definitely not good to be a bridge in these episodes. Yeah. Superman here is working on the definition of insanity, which, as people say, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If that's the case, this Superman is clearly insane as he rams the comet again and tumbles back to Earth. Again. I guess this is also a case of if, if, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Well, he tried, tried again, and it and the same thing happened again. Although this time... He tumbles into the control room, which gives him the idea that maybe he should use the telescope. Apparently, that didn't dawn on him the first time when he got when he landed somewhere else. So people criticize the, the modern Superman as being just a big dumb bruiser. You know, this uh, incarnation of Superman doesn't always show up in the brains department. So he removes the spike from the turbine to get things going again, and uh, this is where we learn Superman can't conduct electricity in a beautifully animated shot of him picking up the broken wires and letting the electricity course through his body to power the telescope. And you can see this is a little painful for him as, you know, his body is shaking and he is clearly re reacting as though he's in pain from the electrical charge. We would see Superman do something similar in the George Reeves series. I don't remember what the episode title is off the top of my head, but there, you, know, you kind of just saw him stand there and animated lightning went around his body. This looks a lot better, as you can see Superman is struggling with the power. And then on Superman's destructions, Lois puts the comet on reverse and sends it back into space, proving that, like I said before, if the police had left the scientist alone from the beginning, his experiment, while reckless, would have succeeded. But now we get to the end, which is the coda of the series, and personally... This is my favorite coda of the series. And you're, you're really missing out if you don't see this visually. Lois and Superman are both in silhouette. Lois thinks she's talking to Superman, and Clark turns the light on. And she is surprised and aghast when she sees Clark there. And, you know, for a change, uh, you know, Clark gets the uh, thanks to Superman line. It's a nice little reversal. So that takes care of the magnetic telescope. Next is the Electric Earthquake, which chronicles Superman's adventures in stopping a madman from destroying Manhattan with electronically induced earthquakes. It was originally released to theaters on May 15, 1942. This is the first and only short to make it clear that the action is taking place in uh, New York City. I'm not sure why the producers didn't use the name of Metropolis for the city as it was clearly created by then, but, but for uses in this story, if... It's not Manhattan, then the motivation for the story doesn't work. Anyway, the uh, cast is as usual. Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent. Joan Alexander as Lois Lane. 
Julian Noah as Perry White, and Jackson Beck serves as the narrator and the Indian scientist. Now, moving on to our synopsis, courtesy of Wikipedia. The story begins with a view of the city, lowering to a view of the ground underneath. Deep under the dock, several large wires are connected to the bedrock. Following the wires away from the coast along the ocean floor, it is shown they all converge in a strange underwater capsule. An elevator-like object emerges from the top and rises to an abandoned fishing house infested with rats. A man exits the elevator and heads toward the city in a motorboat. Later, at the Daily Planet, a Native American man warns Lois Lane, Clark Kent, and Perry White, that they must run a report that Manhattan belongs to his people and should be given back to them. The planet crew judges him to be crazy and his threats to be empty, at least everyone but Lois who follows him to the motorboat. Hiding in the back, Lois is taken to the deserted fishing house on the water and sees his elevator. The man catches her watching him in the elevator's reflection and calmly invites her to follow him, promising an amazing story. And Lois, who can't resist an amazing story, she dutifully follows him. The elevator lowers to the underground capsule and the man offers her his seat, then pushes a button which pins her arms and legs to the chair. Stepping up to the controls, he starts up his earthquake machine, sending a powerful surge of electricity through one of the wires and into the bedrock under the city. The large explosion causes the entire city to shake and runs a large crack through the Daily Planet building. Clark takes advantage of the commotion to change into his Superman costume. In one leap, Superman dives into the ocean and notices the several wires embedded in the rock. He pulls one of them out only to have it explode in his face, flinging him to the ground and piling him with bedrock. He pushes the rock away and pulls out a few more, only to have the wires writhe with electric current and wind around him. At one point, Superman comes up for air, only to have the wires wind around his neck and pull him down. Finally, Superman follows the wires to the underwater capsule and pulls them out of, from its base, causing explosions which destroy the machine. As the water fills the capsule, the villain takes the elevator to the surface, leaving Lois trapped as the water in the capsule slowly rises. Superman spots the elevator and catches the villain at the top, but is told that Lois is trapped and darts back down to save her. The villain, meanwhile, loads the elevator with dynamite and sends it down after him. Superman, however, saves Lois in time and captures the villain as he is making a getaway in his motorboat. Later, as the Daily Planet reports Superman's latest heroic deed while the villain is implied to be arrested and sent to jail for his rampage, Clark and Lois are seen watching the now-rebuilt Manhattan from a cruise ship. Clark remarks, You know, Lois, the old island looks just as good as ever. That's right, Clark. Thanks to Superman. This story was written by Seymour Nidal and Isidore Sparber. And the first view, we can tell, if you're familiar with New York City, the first view, the aerial shot, clearly shows the city of Manhattan. And shortly thereafter, and the Native American scientist who's speaking to the Daily Planet crew clearly calls down Manhattan. Manhattan, for those of you who don't know, was settled by the Lenape Native American tribe. And in 1626, the Dutch bought Manhattan from what from what is believed to be the Canarsie tribe of the Lenape, for trade goods, which are said to be worth about $24 at the time. This time, we have some motivation for the villain, as he is seeking revenge for the Dutch shortchanging his tribe hundreds of years ago. You know, if you think about it, it kind of mirrors the uh, situation with uh, Superman's creators, whose, whose estate felt Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were shortchanged by DC, or then National Comics, when they sold the rights to Superman for $130. Behind the lawsuit, which uh, recently uh, came to an end for the second or third time, I've lost count at this point about how many times the courts have confirmed that the license to Superman has stayed with DC Comics. So, anyway, back to the show. Lois does what she always does. She slinks away and gets captured immediately. You know, Lois in this one is a very damsel in, in distress. 
while she's trying to be independent and get the story, she winds up just kind of getting in trouble half the time. Anyway, as far as the animation goes, the detail on these machines is very intricate. Lots of tubes, glowing lights, electricity being shown, small TV screens. You know, the artwork in these shorts continues to be superb. You know, and kind of a bummer that these were the last shorts produced by Fleischer Studios as... You'll see in the next two weeks when we get to the remaining shorts that were produced by Paramount's famous studios, the art takes uh, quite a big hit. But here, more shots of the disaster done well. These, This is very realistic animation, and that crack in the street looks damn good. And now Clark is going to change into Superman, and we finally get a shirt rip. He is right there in front of the camera, pulling his shirt open, and there's his costume. I do believe that is the first time that we're going to see a shirt rip on screen. And I know that having watched the rest of the remaining shorts at this point, that it is the only shirt rip we are going to see from either Fleischer or Famous Studios. It's understated. You know, he d doesn't... It's not as iconic as shirt rips that we're going to see in Superman the movie, Superman 2, and Superman 3, but... It's a shirt rip, and it's awesome. Let's just leave it at that and move on. Now, the more smooth animation of Superman pulling the machine's wires apart. The water, it looks great. Can't, I just really can't say enough about the animation in these episodes. It's just, it's top-notch, and you can definitely see that, you can definitely see that Fleischer Studios put maximum effort and got their money's worth out of the animation here you know i can't say enough about how great it is so but and here we're going to see some great characterization by superman as he puts lois's life above capturing the scientist and that's the perfect superman characterization to this day where possible he's going to put saving life above anything else and he's as he's facing a human opponent he has time to save lois and still catch up with the scientist you know, things get a little more difficult when you're dealing with supervillains, as we're going to see in Man of Steel in a few weeks. So, all right, that uh, that takes care of the first two shorts we're going to cover in this week's episode. I'm going to take a quick break, play another promo, and I'll be back with Volcano and Terror on the Midway. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com All right, folks, welcome back. We're going to finish up this week's episode with our last two Fleischer animated short films. And the next one episode up is Volcano, which tells the story of Superman's adventures in saving a small island community from a volcanic eruption. It was originally released to theaters on July 10th, 1942 by Paramount Pictures. And it stars Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent, the professor, the police officer, and demolitions expert number one. Joan Alexander plays the role of Lois Lane. Jackson Beck serves as the narrator. Perry White, the guard, and the demolitions expert number two. The story was written by Willard Bowski and Otto Fuhrer. And here is our Wikipedia-generated synopsis. 
The story begins with a narrator describing Mount Monacoa. On the island crowned by the great volcano Mount Monacoa occurred the mightiest eruption that ever shook the earth, burying the beautiful city beneath it in molten lava and creating distress on the world. For 300 years, this mighty volcano lay dormant. A new and more beautiful city sprang up at its base. But now, after centuries of inactivity, slight tremors are being felt. The scene shows various scientists at the Bureau of Meteorology checking the volcano, which is showing signs of eruption, threatening the small town yet again. Lois Lane and Clark Kent are sent to the scene by Perry White, who gives each of them steam tickets to the island as well as press passes, ordering Lois to keep them safe as she stows them in her purse. On arrival, Clark can't find his press pass, as Lois has it hidden in her purse even after she has been ordered by White to stop getting a good story all by herself from a Clark helper for a change, and goes into town to acquire another as Lois takes a tour of the volcano. Her guide tells her the plan to save the city is to blow a hole in the side of the volcano, thus altering the course of the lava flow from the town to the ocean on the other side of the island. Suddenly, the volcano begins to erupt, and lava spews out of its top, flowing toward the town, and Lois and her guide are separated. Two men on the other side of the volcano scramble to get to the machinery, which will blow a hole in its side, but a giant boulder cuts the wire connecting the dynamite to the machine, rendering it useless. From the town below, Clark sees the volcano let out a particularly explosive blast and says, This looks like a job for Superman. He changes into his costume and flies up to the volcano, catching a huge boulder hurtling toward the town and flinging it into the ocean. This momentarily leaves him stunned on a ledge of a mountainside as the lava creeps nearer and nearer to the town, and Lois is struggling to get away from the volcano by edging hand over hand along a cable wire connecting two mountains. She makes it to a cable car just as the cable begins to give way. Superman saves her and then flies back, catches the cable car, and flings it at a mountain near the advancing lava, causing a landslide which dams up the lava flow to the town. Then Superman flies to the dynamite machinery and notices the cut wire. He pulls the two wires together to complete the connection, and in a huge blast, the side of the volcano explodes, and the remaining lava slides harmlessly into the ocean. In the final scene, Lois and Clark are on the boat home, and Clark commends Lois for her excellent story. How's the story coming, Lois? Oh, fine, Clark. Too bad you weren't in on it. Maybe I would have been if I hadn't lost my past. This short changes the opening and indicates that Superman soars higher than any plane, replacing the segment of him being able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. We see the newspaper clip, and the meteorologists are forecasting that this volcano is going to erupt. Now, I am not a scientist, and I don't even play one on TV. But isn't that geology? I'm pretty sure meteorologists deal with the weather and not the uh, molten rocks beneath the earth. Well, anyway, moving on from, uh, from that. This is a straight-up disaster episode, and they have their place. For me, they're right up there with uh, giant monster stories, but it is what it is. Like I said, this is equally enjoyable to any of the other mad scientist episodes that we've seen heading up to this point. And, of course, our heroes, Clark and Lois, are going to be on hand for the eruption. Now, apparently, Lois and Clark have trouble working together. Probably having something to do with Lois' penchant for going off on her own, a point Perry mentions earlier in the episode. You see them walking up to the press agent here, or the person they're speaking to to get onto the island, whatever he is. As Lois and Clark are together trying to get onto the island, look at the coloring here. Clark is wearing a blue suit and a gray hat. And Lois is wearing a gray suit and 
a blue hat. It looks as though, almost looks as though the colors of the hats should have been switched, with Lois wearing a gray hat and Clark wearing a blue one. I don't know if that was a coloring error or if it was done on purpose, but that kind of jumped out at me when I was watching these for the show. And about Lois, I'm going to level with you. I do not like the betrayal of Lois in these shorts. She's selfish, mostly to her own detriment. And she is so determined to get the story and whatever glory comes with it that she'll do something duplicitous like hide Clark's press pass so she can go into the volcanic site alone. You know, you wouldn't get away with that in the newspaper industry today. Just saying. By now, by now, where the uh, animators have been pretty good, got pretty good earthquake shots between the Mad Scientist, the Electric Earthquake episode. So they've got the disaster animation down pat. More great shots of the earthquake. Superman changed in the shadows this time. No shirt rip. I got spoiled so easily by the shirt rip in the last episode that I keep wanting to see one. But I guess um, that's life. I'm going to have to wait until we get to the uh, Christopher Reeve films uh, before we get another good shirt rip. Now, Lois naturally is in trouble. She got too close to the volcano. She's escaping the uh, lava and is now scaling the cable wire car. When did she become Lois Lane's secret agent? Well, anyway, she gets to the car just in time for it to collapse and Superman saves her. And then in the end, fortunately, Superman paying attention to the presentation earlier by the scientists who said what they were going to do, and Superman sets off the dynamite, creating a nice little explosion and diverting the lava flow into the ocean and saving the town. Now, we end with Clark knowing that he's been duped by Lois as he discovers the past in the wallet. This one really didn't do a whole lot for me. You know, it was you know, straight-up disaster, no story, just Superman reacting to the volcano and saving the village. Nothing we haven't seen a million times since. That's really all I've got to say about this one. It's almost hard to fill up an episode with uh, these shorts as, you know, not a lot really happens. So, that's that. We're going to move straight on to Terror on the Midway, which tells the story of Superman attempting to stop the chaos created when several circus animals escaped their cages and restraints, including a giant ape. It was originally released on August 26, 1942, and this was the last of the shorts released by Fleischer Studios. Now on to our synopsis from Wikipedia. The story begins with music and noise of the circus. Clark Kent and Lois Lane are at the Midway, Lois having an assignment to cover its events. She expresses her regret that she didn't have a more exciting assignment. Clark offers his condolences, then leaves for his own assignment. Later that night, as Lois attends to the clown performance, a monkey wanders from the main tent and accidentally opens the cage of the giant gorilla. Growling, the gorilla named Gigantic wanders into the tent, sending everyone into pandemonium. Circus workers attempt to tie the gorilla down with ropes, but are overpowered by its strength and are forced to flee. While other workers are struggling to keep the other animals under control, some of them stampede or rear up against their owners, knocking the cages open. Lois, who has been taking pictures of the gorilla, is about to leave when she notices the monster lumbering toward a trapped young girl. She runs between the creature and the girl and helps her escape, only to have the ape turn on her. Clark arrives on the scene, supposedly to pick up Lois, and sees the chaos. He quickly changes into his Superman costume and begins returning animals to their cages. Right after tossing an elephant into a cart, he hears a scream. Lois is trapped at the top of a pole holding up the tent. The giant gorilla is climbing perilously close. Superman confronts the ape and ties it down, but during the fight, one of the tent poles falls down and hits a power circuit, starting a fire. 
Superman saves Lois from the flames just in time and then goes to subdue the gorilla. The final scene shows Lois vigorously typing the story with Clark sitting lazily back in a chair at the desk. And in this episode, written by Jay Morton and Dan Gordon, we're at the circus. My excitement is overwhelming for this. The gorilla's name is Gigantic. It would have been a lot more fun if it was Titano. And why exactly are Lois and Clark covering the circus? Aren't there other reporters for this? I kind of agree with Lois. You know, maybe they need a little more important assignment. You can tell the assignment is not that important to Lois as she's not trying to do something underhanded to get Clark out of the picture. Now, it's amusing watching the circus staff chase this mischievous monkey around. And, the ch and you can see the children are amused by the monkey's antics. I would probably be amused too as a child by a monkey just kind of running around and making the circus performers look like fools. And the gorilla's on the loose too, thanks to the uh, mischievous monkey. I wonder if he's related at all to that uh, mystery monkey of Tampa Bay that, uh, that got real popular on Facebook about five, six years ago. And while the gorilla is loose, they're just like the synopsis said, pandemonium. And I wonder if anyone told these performers that running around in a circle would not help them in any way. Now we see Lois, who's this time not uh, trying to make a sucker out of Clark. She does her good deed for the day and saves a little girl in a rare act of selflessness. You know, one thing I've noticed about these episodes, I've harped on this before, Clark sure seems to take his sweet time changing into Superman. Because now, after a few minutes of the gorilla running around, now he decides to change into Superman. You know, the circus needs help now, and Clark is still not changing into Superman. And then there's some machine gun fire, some wood... Nearly falls on him. This is a job for Superman. You think? What was your first clue, Mr. Kent? Maybe the giant gorilla running around has something to do with it. Anyway, the fire is anim- I have no complaints about the animation. That fire looks good. You know, Superman is focused on the gorilla and he is paying no mind to the fire, although he grabs Lois from a floating ladder at the last minute. The gorilla definitely looks like a homage to King Kong, which came out a few years before. But anyway, like Volcano before it, this short features no villain, just Superman straight up against the elements. This time, a mishap at the circus. It's dumb fun, but fun nonetheless, if you like this sort of thing. So, that's about all I've got for this week. Next time, we're going to take a look at the first four animated shorts that were released by Famous Studios, as Fleischer Studios was absorbed into Paramount Studios and uh, disbanded and after the Fleischer Brothers were removed. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week as we look at the first four episodes, Japatours, Showdown, that was one that I really liked, The Eleventh Hour, and Destruction, Inc. So, until next time, I will be around. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.